Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I have been raving about today's guest, Rebecca Ward, who I'm really excited is joining us. She is Jill Santalucia's cousin. We had Jill on as a guest towards the end of the year in 2021. And Jill had reached out to me to say, I think you and my cousin Rebecca need to meet you guys will really like each other. You have a ton in common. And can I make the connection? And of course, I love meeting new people and said, of course. And so Rebecca, we had such a delightful conversation on Zoom. And I was just really excited about also having you come onto the podcast. Turns out Rebecca and I do have a lot in common. And we are three Californians on this call. That's right. Right. All grew up in California. And Rebecca is a therapist, an executive coach, a trauma educator, and a speaker with deep expertise in somatic therapy. She's also the author of the book, The Paper Tiger Syndrome, How to Liberate Yourself from the Illusion of Fear. I just finished reading the book about a week ago. I cannot recommend it highly enough if you are dealing with fear or trauma or stress. It's just written with a lot of compassion, and it's really accessible. Before I turn it over to Rebecca, I want to read the first words from her website because are just really, really powerful. My purpose is an ambitious one to heal the world from suffering. Wow. So beautiful, right? What an amazing purpose to be moving through life with. So Rebecca, we are so happy to have you joining us today. And I want to turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about your journey. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Anne. I am so grateful to be here with both of you. You're just delightful, both of you. Yeah. So I'm sort of mid-career here in my life and looking back on childhood and adult life and reflecting on all the things that I've been through, I wanted to share my own journey with your audience because I think a lot of the things that I've been through have been imperfect. You know, life is imperfect and we don't want it to be perfect because we're here to learn right? We're here to learn and we're here to grow. So while a lot of the things that I've been through have been really tough, it's made me who I am today. So I have no regrets about any of the the challenges that I've faced in my life. But I'll share a little bit of that with your audience, because I think it's important for people to see that they're not alone in their suffering. They're not alone in their trauma They're not alone in their trials and tribulations of life. We're all in this together. Sometimes it's so hard to remember that when you're right in the thick of it. So it's a really good reminder. It is. It's a really good reminder. One thing that I've always held onto is my personal relationship with my infinite source. I am a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but I really rely on that infinite source because it has infinite capacity to support whatever I'm going through. I have a wonderful support system in my life, but all human beings have limitations. They can only support just so much. And so it's been very helpful to me to have that connection that has unlimited capacity to support me. So that I have had my whole life. I was really from a young age, always very spiritual and have been developing that relationship 
you know, since I was a child. And like any relationship, that relationship also needs cultivation. It needs care and feeding all the time. So appreciating every moment and appreciating that relationship is something that's ongoing and it has really served me in terms of building resilience and being able to move through difficulty. So I'll just kind of share briefly with you some of the things that I've moved through so far in my adult life. Before I say any of this, for those who know anything about trauma, you always tell the end of the story first. So I'll say to all of you who are listening, I am beyond fine. I am thrilled with my life. I am healthy. I am whole, grateful. I have the best life I could ever hope for. And one that doesn't look anything like I imagined it would. It's far better. That's amazing because I think it's sometimes on those are our darkest, darkest nights that we just cannot even see the daylight of the tomorrow. And so it's really good to hear from somebody who has been through a lot, how much you're thriving and we celebrate that. Yeah. I have moved from fear to safety to unconditional, limitless love. So here's me on the other side. I'm good. I'm great. Fantastic. But my journey started, of course, when I was a child. But as I was going into my adult years and I was going off to college, my desire was to be this globe-trotting photojournalist. I wanted to travel all over the world and surface some of the injustices of the world. That was what I wanted to do. And even in high school, I was protesting human rights issues. I went off to college. My dad and I got in the car. We drove halfway across the country. And there I was learning to be a journalist. And about six months into my time there at college, I was there in my apartment off campus and I was getting ready to go to class, putting the books in my bag. And all of a sudden the doorbell rang and I went to the door. I opened the door and there were two police officers standing in front of me. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm in college and I'm thinking, oh God, what did I do? Let me trace my weed. Exactly. Where's the weed? What have I been doing? Did uh-huh. I do anything illegal recently? Feeling like I was in trouble, right? Of course. So, and then one of them says, hands me a little slip of paper with a phone number on it. And he says, You need to call this number. There's no name, just a phone number. And I look at the number and I said to them, what is this about? And they said, we don't know. You just need to call this number. And I thought, okay, well, that's strange. So I I thanked them, closed the door. I'm looking at the phone number and I suddenly realized that the area code 303, which is Denver, is my father's area code. It's the only person I know in Denver, Colorado. And I thought, oh my God, that's really strange. So I called the number. And a gentleman picks up the line and he says, Denver coroner's office. Oh, Oh my God. God. And there I am in the middle of the country. hardly know anyone there. Just got there. right? And he says, who am I speaking to? And I said, this is Rebecca Ward. And he said, who are you in relationship to Terry Ward? And I said, well, that's my that's my father. And he said, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this way, but your father died. And I just dropped to the floor. My body went into freeze. That tingling feeling was everywhere. I was in shock. And I thanked him and I got off the phone and I sobbed on the floor, sobbed on the floor. 
the relationship with my father was over and it had just gotten started. We just got started getting to know each other. Had there been a separation? My parents divorced when I was seven. That relationship really until I went off to college was pretty dicey. It was not a healthy relationship. He had a lot of issues, depression, alcoholism. My upbringing was classic dysfunctional. Parents divorced when I was a kid, latchkey children from the 80s and the 70s, right? And I was just starting to get a good, healthy relationship with them, setting boundaries about his drinking, not telling him what to do, but just saying, I don't want to be around you when you're drinking. And we just became friends. We became adult friends. And he was my dad. And he, while he had these issues, I was really close to him. So it was extremely traumatic to lose him. And really quite all by yourself as well, sort of in the middle of the country, a new place. And and I'm assuming mom wasn't super supportive of the relationship. I don't want to make anything up here, but like, I'm sure it was complex. Well, we had sort of a falling out at that time too. So I was struggling with those relationships. And, you know, like kids do at that age, now that I know enough about child and adult development. I was individuating. I was finding myself. I didn't want to be around my parents, more so my mother, because she raised me. So it wasn't really personal, but I just needed space. I needed to find myself, right? So she and I weren't really talking. We had not been talking for a little while. That was pretty extreme. I look back and wish I hadn't done that, but that's where we were. And I went off to his funeral and my sister was there and his Jill's mother, are your other guest, my aunt was there and the three of us got through that funeral. And I just remember thinking to myself, my protector's gone. You know, even though he was flawed, he was my father. And I felt this sense of just a lack of safety in my life. So the next 20 years, I was really screwed up. I tell the story that everything that I am today is because of all the mistakes that I've made. I have screwed up. I chose terrible partners. They were totally dysfunctional. I got married to somebody who was completely dysfunctional, thought I was doing everything right. It wasn't like I consciously made these choices, but there I was making one mistake after the other, choosing a career I didn't want. I switched majors in college because I didn't think that was a safe bet. So you were, you were really seeking safety in a lot of ways. Yeah. I was seeking a lot of safety at that age. So chose a different career when I didn't love. And I was doing that for the next 20 years, chose a partner. I didn't, was not a healthy partner for me. We got married. We did a wonderful trip around the world together for six months. It was quite adventurous and he was a great travel partner. But when we got back, we decided we were going to try for children. So we tried for children and got pregnant pretty quickly with twin boys. And for having a twin pregnancy, it was a pretty smooth one. I didn't have many issues, no problems during my first trimester, no morning sickness, nothing. So we're moving along through the pregnancy and more and more, I'm starting to see a different side of my husband. And in my third trimester, one day he and I got into this big argument. And inside, I heard this voice say, myself, say, uh-oh, I don't think I made a good choice here. 
this is not good. This is not good. And it was a Friday. I remember that. It was a Friday. I had a doctor's appointment on Monday to, to for a checkup. This is the early third trimester and the early stages of it. And over the weekend, I was just quiet, kind of disconnected. Not kind of. I was disconnected from myself, some dissociated. I go to the hospital Friday morning, having already discovered that I was bleeding. I go to the hospital for my checkup, and I discover that, not knowing because I'd never been pregnant before, that the pain in my back I was feeling over the weekend were contractions. So I'm in the hospital, and I meet with a doctor. I'll never forget her name. Her name was Dr. Wolf. And Dr. Wolf was not my regular doctor, but she was there. And she said, let's try to calm the contractions down, see what we can do. I'm in denial. I don't really believe this is happening to me. I stay overnight. They're trying to slow down the contractions. They come back in, in the morning. And at that point, my husband is there and a friend is there. And they tell me just before they before those two get in the room, I'm so sorry, but the children are not going to survive. We're going to have to deliver them. Maybe we can save one, but the likelihood of that is, is pretty small. And in my mind, I'm just in denial. I'm thinking to myself, they'll, they'll figure it out. I don't know what they mean. They're not going to make it. They'll, they'll figure it out. So we go in. My husband shows up. The friend shows up. We go in to the surgery to have my epidural inserted. And I go into labor. And still in denial, the first child comes out, delivered vaginally, and they they put him on my belly, my chest, and I look at him and I started howling, howling, just like a, a wolf, howling. Now, I know what that is now. That's the sound of grief that animals make when they're grieving. We're animals. So I was doing what my primitive self would do. Because the baby was born not alive? The baby was born alive. Alive. But they had already told me. You still knew. Yeah. Yes. And then that voice from what I believe is my God, my infinite source, came in and said, there'll be time for grieving later. Be here, fully present to enjoy the moment that you have with him. And that helped me get really grounded and present. And I just studied every little inch of his body, delighted in him for the time that I had him. And still coming, sort of coming back in, but still in denial, the other child comes through and they put him on my, on my chest. So I had my little babies. First one was Nathaniel. The second was Elliot. And I just studied them. I just stayed with them. I cherished them. I studied every little inch of their bodies. I could still see them now. Ellie had a little birthmark on his forehead. And they were just sweet as can be. And about four hours later, they left me. They left us. And it changed everything from that moment forward. That was one of the pivotal moments in my life. So how old are you at this point? I was 37. So by the time you were 37, you had 
abruptly lost your father. You had found yourself in a very dysfunctional marriage and you've now lost your two babies. And how did you cope? Terribly. I didn't have the skills to move through that at the time. My support system was absolutely there for me, but I had a dysfunctional husband. You know, your home is supposed to be your peaceful sanctuary, and it was not. It was chaotic, just not the place for me. I couldn't heal with him there. It was just, there was no support from him whatsoever. It was the antithesis of support, you know, and I'm just respecting his privacy. So I I don't want to say too much about him, but it was not a healthy situation. I'll just leave it at that. So you're in this unhealthy situation, but you do indeed survive. So what got you through that? I was in survival mode at that point. I I needed to get out of this, this marriage and I didn't have enough space in my life to do that. So the grief, there was the housing market crash. This was 2007. So, you know, it was the stress of that, having to be the sole breadwinner, pay the mortgage. I was in survival mode for several years until finally I did get out of the marriage. I went through a a wonderful program out here in California for uh, about 10 days. That program helped me find solace in myself again and find the strength to be able to leave the, the relationship despite the grief that I was working through and the stress. And I came out the other side realizing one thing for my kids. They are the ones that gave me the strength to leave. And I realized that life is too short. You've got to make the changes that you want to make, have the courage to move through the things that are happening and come out the other side to a life that is meant for you. I'm not sure you're totally giving yourself enough credit, and I don't pretend to know your experience, but here's what I've heard so far. So you're you're lying in the hospital bed and you hear some whisper of inner wisdom and you pause and you actually heed that moment. And that in and of itself is an unbelievable gift and strength because I I think we all have these inner knowings and we all have this kind of inner wisdom, but we don't always listen to it and we don't always pause or heed. So so I think that's a big one right there. And I'm, I'm a little curious in what was an incredibly stressful part of your life. Where do you think that came from? I mean, did you already have this deep connection with a higher source or where do you think that came from? Oh yeah, absolutely. That is what's gotten me through everything. I mean, I, as I mentioned earlier, that relationship is a relationship I have been working with my, almost my whole life. It is what has gotten me through this entire experience. It's what gives me resilience and my children give me the resilience that I need to move through. Support systems are really important. You know, that's at the core of whatever we get through. We never get through it alone, no matter what. And as the famous poet Rumi says, don't feel lonely. The whole universe is inside you. And so we always have, even if it's just one person, even if it's just your pet, you have somebody in your life you can look to. That's very, very important. Even your higher power, that if you can count on anything, you can absolutely count on that. For those who don't believe in that, that's okay. I don't judge anybody for whatever their belief system is. But if you don't believe in that, you can believe in science. Science and spirituality are, I think someday we'll see that they're the same. 
that you believe in science. Science, the earth is here to hold you. That's a vast support system right underneath your feet. And, you know, to follow up on Anne's comment about giving yourself credit, there's also something about being willing to accept support, right? You're talking about the importance of support. And I think it can also be so easy when you're in the depths of of grief or despair, or you're just drowning in stress to push everybody away for lots of different reasons. 100%. I mean, I grew up in a home where you figured out how to take care of yourself. You don't get your needs met by other people because they're too busy trying to survive, right? And I had to learn how to do that. For people who are fiercely independent, asking other people for help is hard. It's hard. You got to learn it. And if you are unpracticed at it, that takes a lot of effort unless something happens like this, right? And then you don't, you don't have no choice. That's right. You learn it the hard way for sure. So you're, you're finding yourself in this incredibly tragic situation. You're sort of just surviving, being the breadwinner. Somehow you get yourself to this amazing program that then changes something for you. So kind of what happens next? Well, it gave me the space and time to regain my strength. And I came back recognizing that I needed to get myself out of this situation. So I came back and roughly about six months later, everything changed. I got out of a marriage. I sold the house. I started to change careers. That that process took about a decade to get through all the training and education to become a licensed therapist. Out from that came me reclaiming myself, what I call my original blueprint. The original blueprint is what we're born with, like the true purest form of your soul being expressed in a human body. That's what that is. You come into this world really pure. And we lose that when we go through trauma and stress and the changes of life because we have to survive. But we're also designed to reclaim it. And that was that moment when I started to reclaim myself, when I started to reclaim that part of myself that I had lost long ago. Who am I? What do I want to be? What kind of work do I want to do? What matters to me? What do I care about? All of that came back and I started making those drastic changes, but it wasn't over yet. There was more for me to learn and unprocessed grief. I talk about in the book, Gabor Mate talks about it in his books, unprocessed grief, unprocessed anger, the harder emotions that we have in life. If we don't process them, what happens is that energy in your body becomes toxic and it can turn in on you. So it's very important that we take the time to process our emotions so that energy leaves the body. I didn't know that at the time. So what started to happen is that toxicity in my body started to form cancer cells, tumors in my body. And all of the tumors in my body were all primary cancers and in places that had some connection back to loss, some intergenerational trauma that was connected back to my grandparents, but cancers that they had manifested in their bodies came into mine. Unprocessed trauma from my father came into my my body through cancer, the same cancer he had. And unprocessed grief from my children came into my body as well. So I'm a like sort of an interesting example of how that can manifest 
in the body, loss and grief and anger and anything that's been repressed. In your book, you talk about you got diagnosed with three primary cancers on the same day. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And then a fourth shortly thereafter. So it's not metastatic. These were all primaries. But my relationship with cancer, and I don't fault anybody for feeling whatever they feel. It's all completely normal, however you cope with cancer or loss. My version of it was, I'm going to rely on what is this here to teach me? There's something here for me. This is not normal. You don't get four cancers in life. So what is this about? I just got really curious about it. And I started doing a whole slew of things, both Eastern and Western medicine. I tried everything. And I surgeries and chemo and hair loss and radiation and you name it. I've done all the Western treatments for cancer. I changed my diet. I did all kinds of things like acupuncture and Reiki and guided meditation and you name it. And all the while working, I was getting licensed as a therapist, moving through surgeries, doing all that stuff. But I could do it because that resilience that I got from my support system was there. That's what got me through it all. You know, I'm curious, a moment ago, you said you get diagnosed with four cancers and it's here to teach you something or for you to learn something. What did it teach you? What did you learn? Yeah, well, I would say the biggest gift I've been given from all of this is to appreciate every moment, to appreciate every moment of my life, to be as fully present as I can be. That is the gift, is to really appreciate how delicate life is, that it could change in an instant, as it's done for me so many times. And what we know today isn't what we are going to know tomorrow. Like, just be fully present in this very moment. That's all you can really count on. Life is a series of unknowns. Everything is uncertain in life. And when we meet that uncertainty, we have a choice. We can say, oh my God, it's going to take me down. Nothing is predictable. I can't plan out my life or I can't, which I did tons of that before all this happened. I let all that go. And I realized that I can embrace uncertainty by being fully present right now. That's the answer to working with uncertainty is to come back to right now. That you can count on, present, being here right now and really appreciating it, all that it has to offer you. You have a passage in your book that I just found to be so powerful that I want to read aloud right on this, what we're talking about right now. For the next seven years, I fought my way through multiple surgeries and treatments, redoubling my commitment to healing. And this time, nothing was off limits. The healing journey back to my authentic self was a winding, bumpy road. I took detours, got lost, and sometimes went backwards. There were times of great fear, uncertainty, and indecision. But there were also moments of incredible clarity, expansion, and courage. Amen, sister. Yeah, exactly. What an absolutely perfect, beautiful description of how we can live in this place of total shit show and also have amazing things come out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the key. I mean, I, I remember 
when I first got diagnosed with cancer, I had a doctor tell me, you're going to die in the next two to five years. Okay, that was that was her answer. And I went into about three weeks of living in sheer terror. I could barely sleep. I was worried I wasn't going to wake up the next morning. The word terror, I'm using that because that is what it was. It wasn't just fear. I felt sheer terror. And at the end of the three weeks, I remember thinking to myself, there is no reason to waste my time feeling this way. It's going to be what it's going to be. And I cannot let fear stop me from living my life for fear of something that may never happen. You know, she says that doesn't mean that it's truth. She's a human being. I stopped giving away my power to other people, stopped relying on what other people said to me or their advice about what they thought was going to happen to me. I reclaimed my uh, ability to advocate for myself through cancer, started to really trust my instincts. And the world of somatics came in, and I realized that there's a whole world of wisdom inside my body that I can rely on. What's an Huge. example of that, of how you can rely on wisdom inside your body? I'll tell you the moment I got it. I was in a class. I was taking a course on somatics, and I was moving around the room. And in that moment, I realized, oh, my God, this is what helped me decide to separate from my husband. I realized in that moment, I had never listened to my instincts. The instincts sent me a signal from my gut. And when they say, trust your gut, it's an actual signal that happens inside us. We just don't pay attention. We override it all the time. But if you slow down and pay attention to that instinct, it'll tell you what you need to do. Your gut is a much more accurate decision maker than your brain because it's present, right? And I said it out loud to the class. I said, I just realized that I have not been trusting my instincts. And that was the moment I knew I needed to get out of that relationship. At this point, while you're going through all your cancer treatment, are you in school for becoming a therapist? Are you a therapist yet? Where, where are you in your professional journey? Yeah, so it takes time. You have to go back to grad school. So I went back to grad school. I was still working full-time. So I was multi-careering, doing the job in management consulting and also going to school at night. So it took me about 10 years. I balanced those two careers until I was licensed and then eventually went off on my own and took all the wisdom from the 30 years of experience in management consulting. I'm applying that to my executive coaching clients and using the work of somatic across both my trauma clients on the therapy side and also executives, because the truth is all of those skills are applicable because we're all human. You know, we deal with stress and trauma and anxiety and how to regulate your nervous system and liberate yourself from fear. Essentially, a lot of what I've learned beyond obviously the skills of being a therapist come from, from my own experience of having suffered a lot of fear and how to liberate yourself from that. So it sounds like you've translated a lot of your personal experience and your learnings to now kind of help others. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the original blueprint and how you, pe how you help people find it. And is that really sort of the Nexus, is that really what you're focused on in your work? Or just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, a whole, what I call the original blueprint method that I, I use with clients, regardless of what they're coming to me for. It's it's all, always about finding that 
the truest version of yourself, which is the original blueprint. It's an integration of what you were born to do, you know, how you came into the world, that pure expression of yourself is the original blueprint and integrating that with all the wisdom from your life, from all the experiences that you have to fully integrate that self and come out the other side with more wisdom, more grace, more contentment, more joy, more aliveness in your life. And I have seen that happen over and over again. I I have one gentleman who's been seeing me. I do these weekend intensives with him. It's just one-on-one for, for two full days. And he went from being suicidal at age 40 to, in his words, this work has changed my life. He loves his career. He loves his family. He's at peace with himself. He's got a new girlfriend. You know, he he's just, he's living his best life now because he's been able to re- release a lot of the childhood trauma and stress and anxiety that had been running the show. You started talking about your journey with kind of the end in mind. And I'm curious, we all, even when we come through terrible things and we change and we have, we evolve, there are still sort of bumps along the way. And so I would just love to hear a little bit about how you emerged, started listening to yourself, really created a whole new life for you. And then what's happened since then? I mean, it sounds like you're doing this amazing work and how are you doing? Ah, never better. I am so grateful for everything that has happened in my life. I have truly the best life, far better than I ever imagined it would be. I was, I thought I was going to get married, have kids and live a very traditional life. I don't, that's not what was meant for me. And it's, it's a fantastic life I have. So just going back briefly, I left the corporate world. It was the only job I ever got fired from. And I'm grateful they fired me. (laughs) It gave me what I needed to move out on my own. And so I was ready. I was ready to take, I got licensed as a therapist. I went out, I hung out my shingle and, you know, a few years later, COVID hit. So everything came back to remote work and I've been doing executive coaching and therapy for years now. And it's a wonderful combination. And I've got my life partner. He's been in my life for close to five years now. We appreciate each other so much every day. Just grateful to have each other. He's been through his own health challenges, so he he understands how delicate life is. And we are living a fantastic life. Truly, truly fantastic. You know, something that is just really, really striking me in this conversation is trauma is so pervasive. You've had a lot of really big things happen to you. I mean, for cancers, there's no way that's not traumatic, right? Losing two babies. I mean, these are humongous traumas. And there's just, there's so much trauma in our culture that I think it's very easy for people when it's not sort of this big, giant thing to poo-poo their own trauma. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's always somebody who has it better off and worse off than you. Nothing should ever diminish your own suffering. No one should ever feel like theirs is too big or too small. It is part of what's been given to you to work with in this lifetime. And it all needs to be honored and respected. 
And I think part of what Sherry's getting at is sometimes that people may not realize they are dealing with their own trauma if they're not in touch with their bodies, such as you were describing, or they don't have something like a father dying, losing children, major cancers. And so what would be some signs that people would kind of need to look out for that they may need to process some of the things that are happening for themselves? Absolutely. So if you find yourself feeling reactive, or if you find yourself dealing with a lot of stress that feels bigger than the immediate event, something tells you there's more here than what's actually happening in the moment, there's a really good chance that you're also working with trauma from your past. It's either a shock trauma, little things that seem inconsequential can actually have a huge impact on your life. People fall, they have a fall, you know, they break their leg or something. And that can cause problems with their confidence, their ability to trust themselves, trust their instincts. It can have huge impact, you know, choices that you make from everything from who you marry to who you vote for to what career you choose, where you live. Trauma has the big footprint on our lives as human beings. And I'd arguably say probably at least two thirds of people, trauma has affected their lives in some significant way. So you're probably in that camp. Yeah. And so finding ways, whether it's locally through support systems, through spiritual, religious institutions that might help. You talked about your own practice. Not everybody lives out here in California, but before we jumped on, you were just starting to tell us about a workshop that you're cooking up. So can you tell us a little bit about what you think that will look like? Yeah. So listeners, if you're if you're interested in doing some of this work in person, I'd like to invite you to visit my website to learn more about the workshop. We're going to balance healing with spaciousness and time for rest and relaxation. Part of the work is to slow down and really process your stress, your anxiety, the things that aren't allowing you to be fully yourself. You're going to walk away with tools that you can apply every day, practical tools that will help you overcome some of the things that are holding you back. So if you're interested, take a look at my website and sign up on the mailing list because that's the thing that will help me know that you're interested in learning more about the workshop. And we'll have Rebecca's website and information in the show notes so you can check it out there. So before we wrap up, Rebecca, one last question for you. If you could go back in time and have a conversation with little Rebecca, what is one piece of advice that you would give her? Trust yourself. Put less emphasis on what other people think. You know you've got this inner wisdom inside you that you need to listen to. Listen. Really pay attention to that voice inside you. And instead of overriding it, listen to that wisdom inside and it will help guide you through through life. It's part of yourself. It's part of, part of your infinite source, that voice, the combination of the two, and uh, it'll help you. The first time I heard you say you did that is when you were in that awful situation in the hospital. And yes. I think we often have that inner voice that for whatever reason we ignore. And so whether it's little Rebecca or big anybody else or anywhere in between, I think that's just beautiful advice for us all to heed. So Rebecca, I just really want to thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute delight to have you here. 
I could not have asked for a better conversation today. I'm so grateful for the time that we were able to spend together. And hopefully I get to meet you two in person someday. I would love that. Yeah, that would be awesome. And that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or post it to your own social media. You can find information and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. Oh, 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 o